Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Beginning at verse 7, we will read through the conclusion of the chapter. We'll begin this evening in chapter 9, and uh, probably by early February we will have completed the book of Hebrews in this series. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Let us unite together in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for every person present in this congregation this morning, for the desire of everyone to have their hearts and souls filled with the power of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that thou would deal with us as we each personally have need this morning. Lift us up to a plane of living that is joyous and delightful in your service. If there be lost in our congregation, those who have never said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this day might be the day of their salvation. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I've pointed out on many occasions, some of the scripture is difficult to understand completely from the reading of the King James Version because of the the language being somewhat different than we're accustomed to in today's world. And I would like this morning again to make some notations or some comments on verses that will help us clear up the misunderstanding or the lack of comprehension that possibly we might have. We've been talking all the way through the messages that I've been delivering from the book of Hebrews Uh, dealing with the Old Covenant as opposed to the New Covenant. 
or if you would, the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. We understand that word, testament. We have here in the Bible two sections, as we know. And I just lost my Sunday school book, but I don't need it, I guess. One is the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. The other is the New Testament, or the New Covenant. Now, we can use those words interchangeably, and they become meaningful to us as we comprehend the word covenant. If you would go to the dictionary, you might find Webster saying that a covenant, and let me quote, is an agreement between two people that involves promises on the part of each to the other. Now let me repeat it, because I think we can, we can well understand that definition. A covenant is an agreement between two people, or we might say between two parties. There are promises involved on the part of each party to the other. That's a covenant. In fact, the word covenant becomes important to the very root, the very basis of all of our theology and of all our teaching and preaching, and that is that God developed and made a covenant with his people. There was an old covenant made, reported and identified in the, what we call the Old Testament which God said some things and people said some things to God that became a covenant, a testament, a testimony that one party would do such and such if the other party would do such and such. In the New Testament we have the same thing, that God has made a new covenant now with us that is different than the one in the Old Testament. A new covenant... God has said, I will do something if you will do something. And it's this that we want to, to deal with this morning. Throughout the Old Testament, there were a number of the old patriarchs that God made covenants with. God made a covenant with Adam, for example. He made one with, with Noah. As a matter of fact, if you go to the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, you will find that covenant spelled out. And the promise of that covenant we see even yet today when God said that he would do thus and so if the people would do thus and so. And the promise was in the sky and we see the rainbow, which was God's evidence of the thing that, that he would do for Noah and for his descendants. God made a covenant with Abraham when God said that he would bless Abraham and all of his descendants if... His people would be faithful. God made a covenant with David. Find that in 2 Samuel, in which he promised, God said, your lineage will be the kings of, of Israel, and it was culminated in the birth of Christ. And there were many other covenants. The word itself is important. You know, the word means a cutting a cutting, so as to raise blood. Remember the old Indian uh, movies that you've seen in which a white man and Indian made a covenant? 
And they each cut their hand and, and put their hands together and their blood intermingled. It was a covenant sealed with blood in which the, the, their bloods were mingled. Well, that comes from the Old Testament. You wonder sometimes how the Indians understood the Old Testament covenants. I think the Indians well understood the Old Testament covenant that God had made, and they worshipped Jehovah God. They just didn't understand him. They'd lost that somewhere down the line, but they believed in a supreme being because they had been taught that before they ever came to this part of the world, and that's another subject, and we'll not get into that. But in Jeremiah, we are told that a person promised something by walking between the blood. And what that meant was that they took an animal and killed it and put one part here and one part here. And if you promised, you walked between the two pieces of the carcass or between the blood or through the blood, if we could use that term, and it sealed your promise. Abraham uh, promised God and there was a sign in the process of circumcision when there was, of course, naturally blood in the process of that circumcision. Moses sprinkled blood upon the altar for the Hebrew people. And on and on we could go with the fact that the word covenant means that there was a blood sacrifice made to seal it. You see the Old Testament process of without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin is not only Old Testament, it's New Testament as well. For God said in New Testament covenant that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. A person must understand that if he is going to be acceptable to God he's got to go through blood. That was the Old Testament process, and it's the New Testament process. There is no other way to heaven except to have the covenant, the promise that God made, and the promise that man makes coming together in a blood covenant, in being sealed in blood. There's nothing more sacred than a blood promise. Any of you ever do that in your kids? You and your buddy promise something and you would never, 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 never go back on each other. You always will always be friends and you sealed it with something. And a few people did it with blood. They would actually cut their thumbs and put their thumbs together. Have you ever do that? Well, uh, Diane did it. Anybody else? You know what? You did it, Ricky? You did? All right, you understand the process. You did it. God wants your soul and my soul sealed the same way. He will do thus and so if we will do thus and so. And both parties promise we never, 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 never will go back on the promise we made. And God fulfills his. The problem was in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the people kept failing to fulfill their obligation. So God says he's going to make a new one. He calls it a better covenant in verse 6. He's got better promises, he says. Verse 7, look at it. For the first covenant had been, if, if the first covenant had been faultless, 
indicating that the first covenant was fatherless. If the first covenant had accomplished the task that God had set out to accomplish, then there would have been no need for the second one. Who failed in the first covenant? Did God fail? No, God kept his promise. Who failed? Man failed. What was man expected to do? Man was expected to do something. Now I want to go back and read you what man was expected to do in the Old Testament days. This is it from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attune our tent unto the prayer that is made in this place. If my people will do something, will humble themselves and seek my face. They didn't do that. They failed again and again and again to accomplish that until finally... God got tired of the Old Testament sacrifices of lambs and turtle doves by the millions and said, I'm not any longer going to tolerate that kind of bloodshed when my people are not keeping their part of the bargain. We're going to have to come up with a new plan. So the old plan was based upon obeying the Ten Commandments. Moses went up into the mountain, and when he came down, he had two tablets of stone. And written on those tablets of stone were the Ten Commandments. And I held those up here last Sunday, I think, on a little plaque we had downstairs. God said, if my people will keep these commandments then I'll forgive their sins. But his people did not keep the commandments. So there was something wrong with it. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we find these words. There is therefore for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here's what I want you to see, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We no longer are under the obligation of the Old Testament to offer sacrifices. Let me tell you something. If it is possible that you believe that you're saved by the good life that you live, you've got a problem. Because you're living according to the Old Testament process of things that God did away with because it wasn't accomplishing his purpose. There are lots of people who believe they're saved by how good they are, how upright they are, how moral they are, the fact they attend church and that they pray and they give money to the building fund and they go see their neighbor and they pay their taxes and this makes a person upright and honorable and moral and surely God would accept me if I do all these things. Why wouldn't he? God, you ought to be glad I'm on your side, we would say. But Romans says, 
what the law could not do, that is, what could not be achieved by our obedience was done in Christ Jesus. Now, if you believe in the process of being saved by good deeds, by good works, I say you have a problem. Because this type person is saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost forever and ever and you better have the right word when you die. Else you're going to be lost. Because we're good, we're moral one moment and we're not good the next. We, we are uh, pure today and we're impure tomorrow and pure and impure and on and on we can go. Where is there a person who can say, I have not sinned? But that's one of the requirements of being able to enter into the presence of God is being sinless. The Old Testament said you've got to have your sins forgiven. And then when you commit the next one, you're going to have to sacrifice again. If you believe that you are saved by your good works, when's the last time you offered your sacrifice? When did you bring your last lamb to the altar and have a priest slaughter it and take the blood out of that lamb and go behind the curtain that we've talked about and sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the altar for your sins. When was the last time you had that accomplished? That's the Old Testament process. If you don't believe in the New Testament process, then you must believe in the Old Testament process. John stood one day and said to his disciples as he was looking at Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What the Old Testament law could not do, God did away with and he established a new process. Not depending upon what man can do now. You see, this was the problem with the Old Testament process. God kept his bargain. Man wouldn't keep his bargain. Man couldn't keep his bargain. There is nobody that can possibly live without sinning. Because we're human. Because we're weak. Because we're frail. Because of all the influences that Satan puts upon us, we yield. Every patriarch in the Old Testament, as honorable and honest and moral as they were, all failed. Abraham failed. David failed. Solomon failed. And all of them failed and faltered and fell and committed sin. And yet even of David who had committed adultery, who had committed murder, God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. Do you mean to tell me that God wants a murderer and adulterer? No. For God does not uh, consider the external things that a man does. He considers the heart. And David came back and begged for forgiveness. And unless there is a begging for forgiveness, the sin of one's heart still stains it. It was the, it was the man who sought forgiveness that became the man after God's own heart. A new one. A new process. Look at verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers 
in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and the words I regarded them not can easily be read and must properly be read I canceled the old covenant They continued not in my covenant, therefore I canceled it. Then verse 10, and this is the covenant that I will make. This is the covenant that I will make. What's he going to do? He said, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Here's the change. In the Old Testament days, they went around with scripture verses written on the cuffs of their shirts and across their forehead, and they wrote it across the front of the house. And these little signs said, I'm godly. I'm worshiping the Lord. Today, we do it by, I'm godly. I'm on my way to heaven. I carry my Bible. I come to church. I sing, I pray, I praise. I put bumper stickers on my car that says, Hawk if you love Jesus. And that tells the whole world that I'm for God. Not long ago, a fella saw that sign on the back of a bumper and it said, Hawk if you love Jesus. And he was sitting at a red light, so he just honked. And the guy jumped out of that car and came back and cussed him out. <laughs> and the fellow said, I was just doing what you told me to do, honk if you love Jesus, and I assumed you did, and you wanted me to. Listen, don't put out a label unless you can back it up with your heart. Here comes the change in the law. We're no longer going to do external things that tells the world that we're Christian. We're no longer going to depend upon being baptized or being a member of the church or putting bumper stickers on our car or whatever else we do that externally says something. God is going to take that same law and He is going to put it in a different place. He's not any longer going to put it on the mantle of the house as He did in Egypt. He's no longer going to tell them to write it on their sleeves and write it, put it on their foreheads and do all of those things. He's saying now, the change is, I want my same law, the same morality that I expected you to live by, but I want it to come out of your heart. Do you see what the difference is? We are not now people living by a visible evidence of our salvation. We ought to be able to see our salvation as it comes out of us. And let me tell you, what comes out of you and me tells us and tells the world what we actually are. And if it's filthiness and foulness and blasphemy and, and talking about people and all of those things that go on, you cannot convince me on the words of the Scripture that that individual who talks about somebody is in the name of Christ doing it. It's got to be led by the devil. And I don't care who's doing it. 
What we see coming out of the heart and soul through the mouth of a person reveals him for what he really is. So we're doing away with these external obediences. We're doing away with the Pharisee who would stand on the street corner so that everybody could see him and pray a big, long, loud prayer so that everybody might think he was righteous. We're doing away with the appearances of fasting that we might look like we're Christian. As I told you one time, and if, I, if you remembered, you like it, laugh anyhow, but the story makes the point. When somebody met a preacher or met a, met a fella in a... Um, I check out in the grocery store and said to him, are you a preacher? And he, the guy said, no, I've just been sick a lot lately. As if we're supposed to put on a certain appearance of being, uh, I don't know how you would describe that. I tell you, we ought to look our faith, we ought to act our faith, but we got to have it down here first. And we don't have it down here, it's not going to come out. And this is the problem that God saw in the Old Testament people. They didn't have it down here. And he said, I'm going to change that. I'm no longer going to accept people because of their external religion. I'm going to accept people. I'm going to forgive their sins because they mean it in their heart. And so our religion today, our faith today, is an internal affair. What's God's part in this affair? He will save the soul. Well, let me just go to Romans chapter 10. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God's part is saving now let's be sure we understand, and I know I'm repeating myself here, but let's be sure we understand nobody has anything to do in the saving process. God does the saving through Jesus Christ. All we do is give ourselves and yield ourselves to it. So what does he say? How to be saved? Listen, if you're not saved, here's the formula. Here's the formula. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, if you will be willing to say to this congregation or to somebody, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. But what? Believe in your heart. If God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. You want to be righteous? The Old Testament righteousness was not going to work. He wanted his people to be righteous, but they couldn't do it. So he says, I'm going to change things. And now then man's part is doing nothing but believing. All man has to do is believe. God never says that you've got to come to church every Sunday of the year to be saved. And God does not say you've got to be a member of the Church of Christ or any other church to be saved. Or this church. 
Well, I mentioned Church of Christ because they believe you've got to be a member of the Church of Christ to be saved. God says if you believe in your heart, and then out of your heart is going to come a confession. Christ in you or not at all is the New Testament, is the New Covenant. It's an internal affair. Christ in or not at all. This is the New Covenant. Have you signed your agreement with God? Listen. It was written, God wrote his part in the blood of his own son. Are you willing to take your heart and put your heart against the heart of Christ? Are you willing to take your hand and put your hand against the hand of Christ? Are you willing to take your soul and commit it to Jesus Christ? If you are, you do it because you believe and you're willing to trust the Lord. And you will have signed the new covenant. And it will have been signed in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's the only way. I repeat again, anyone who thinks salvation will come to him because he's good will have a terribly rude awakening someday. A terribly rude awakening. Because it is only through Jesus Christ that one can ever possibly enter heaven. And what's, what's man's part? Believe. Have faith. Trust. None of that says anything about external things. External things are obedience to a Lord that we have accepted after we've made the decision. After we've made the decision. Now we can live ungodly because we will not follow the Lord. But our salvation comes simply by believing. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.